Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. A warm welcome to one and all. There's a special grace, I think, in the meeting this morning. We must be aware of the power of God. And I want to talk more to that, of how it relates to integrity. Just in the past two weeks or so, in studying this dynamic, has been made open um, to my heart and to my understanding that power attends integrity. Everyone say power. (laughs) Power attends integrity. I want to encourage you, that dynamic is going to grow more and more. And the more you master integrity, the more you're going to see God's going to show you things. And you will be like Jesus at the woman at the well, talking about worship. She was convinced that Mount Gerizim is the place where men ought to worship. The Jews were convinced that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. She was a Samaritan. Samaritan Jews worshipped at Mount Gerizim. And she was having the discussion with Jesus concerning um, worship. Jesus said, You shall neither this mountain nor Jerusalem worship the Father, but the Father seeks to them that worship Him in spirit and in, in truth. And then He cuts across the discussion. He simply says, uh, Go call your husband. You know, why took a heavy theological discussion about worship? And then suddenly, Oh, go call your husband. She said, I have no husband. He said, You have said rightly that you have no husband, for you've had five. The one you're now living with is not your husband. In this thou saidest truly, King James says. So it's amazing. People come across highly theological. She was like having an intensely theological discourse about the venue and the object of worship, where worship takes place and who worship should be accorded. And Jesus cut across all the religiosity and said, Your husband, your domesticity, your domestic context is totally out of place, but you want to have this major discussion on worship with me. Sort your house out first, and then we can talk later. And then when he revealed to her that, hey, when she was shocked, she said, she first called him a Jew, she called him a man. How can a Jew be a man or water of me, a woman? Then she called him, how can you be a Jew, for the Jews have no dealings with the sir. Maritans, three times thereafter, she called him sir. Sir, I perceive that you got no uh, bucket and the well is deep. From whence hast thou this living water? She would say to him. Three times she called him sir. When he revealed that he knows something about her domestic context, she said, sir, I perceive that you are a, are a prophet. Okay? And when he reveals the truth of worship to her in the context of a right domestic situation. She ran back to Samaria, and the Bible says, she said to the men, this woman has something with men, right? She said away with men, and she was using a natural gift in the wrong way. So now Jesus took that same proclivity or capacity, and he used it for his glory. I don't know what happened to the woman. The Bible said she went to Samaria, and she said to the men, which were in the city, come and see a man which told me 
all things whatsoever I did. Is this man not the Christ? Okay, so her revelation went from a man, that's all she saw, a man, her woman, to Jew, three times calling him sir, then to prophet, now to the, to the, to the Christ. And let me just say that the Lord spoke this to me. Christ is not going to be revealed to Gate Ministries, Durban Central, if you don't sort out your domestic circumstances. The revelation of the Christ is not coming to you. Christ is first going to say to you, what's happening at home? Right? David said, I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. That's what he said in Psalm 101. I will walk in my house in the integrity of my heart. Now let me just say this to all of you. Who wants Christ coming to your home? Anyone? Come on, who wants Christ, the revelation of Christ in your domestic circumstances? Somebody remarked to me, you must be glad that your kids are serving the Lord. I said to them, it's probably the greatest thing in my life. I said, you can take everything else away from me. I will literally quickly sacrifice everything else for this. That if my children can serve God, then I've done well. And everything else literally means, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything, but by comparison, uh, we must leave a, leave a, a legacy. And I want to encourage us all, the greatest expressions of, of inheritance we can leave to our kids is a spiritual legacy. A spiritual legacy. So my kids, I will study and read the Bible in front of them. It must be said, your boy, your girl, when they grow old, must have this memory. I saw my father study God's word. I saw my mother praying. I heard my father praying. I heard my father love God in worship. You leave images in the mind of, I will never forget Sheila B. My mom, my mom was called, we, we teased her Sheila B. Her first name is Sheila Joan Barnwell. She was fondly called affectionately by most people, Sheila B. Sheila B always sang. She was known for singing. That's why I love song. Sheila B always knelt at her bed praying for all her, her children. Let me just tell you, there are very little powerful memories I have growing up. But those images are embossed, uh, ingrained, engraved upon my memory that are forever, ever etched, right? Unerasable in my mind. Those things are powerful points of impartation, okay? To see, think about when Abram was about to sacrifice Isaac, right? What did that mean to Isaac? What did the actions of a father mean to a son? Isaac, from that day onwards, knew my dad loves God. My dad obeys God to the hilt. He will obey God even to the point of sacrificing me. That's how much my dad loves God. Parents must demonstrate obedience, prayer, and a love for God, a love for his church before they kids. Your kids will never ever prioritize kingdom things more than you have demonstrated to them. Right? So if you don't love God's word, likely, most likely your child's not going to study God's word. If you do not attend church regularly, most likely your child will not. Right? 
if you don't uh, give financial offerings often and as accurately as you should, neither will your, will your kids do. Okay? I've given you this example. Both the boys, when they started working, Matthew and Liam, gave firstwood offerings without us telling them, reminding them, or encouraging them to do so. Why did they do that? Because they saw us do it. Now that tells me I've taught the boys something. I might not leave him a house, but I've left him a legacy. I'm going to leave him some riches when I die. Okay? An inheritance naturally, financially. Because what the Bible says. The righteous leave an estate to there. But more than actual money, it's principles that you leave to your children. That will ensure their success when they grow old. Not so. So that is what I really want to encourage you. I don't know why, but this, this whole thing about the woman at the well suddenly hits me forcefully. There's no, you see, she was pretending to have deep theological knowledge and parading an image about knowing about worship, right? She knew the history of it. She says, my father Jacob built this well, right? This is his well. She was rooted in the past. And Jesus cut across the veneer and he said, this, this discussion now lacks power because you have no integrity at home. No integrity in your domestic context. Put your home right, and then we can engage at this level of, of power and authority in reference to theological discussions. And so I want to continue along that vein in talking about grace reigning through righteousness. And in the last few weeks, we've been focusing on integrity as an application of righteousness. Everyone say integrity. We must be integrous. For the past few weeks, I've been focusing on the heart of integrity or integrity of the heart, but specifically the intentions of the heart, what's lurking in the heart as an ambition, desire, or purpose that God is checking out, right? What, what lurks within the heart? I don't want to go through, if I start now, I'll take up unnecessary time to rehearse some of the items we taught last week. Last week was very prophetic in that the thoughts, most of them, were spontaneous. I literally went home in the week and updated a whole three or four pages of notes uh, that came out of last week. Because last week God spoke to us about, um, about from the book of James where it says that when no man... When he is tempted, he is tempted of the Lord. But every man, when he is enticed, it says, is carried away. Remember, carried away. He's swept away or carried away by his own lust. And the next verse says, when lust conceives, it brings forth sin. And when sin conceives, it brings forth death. death. So I spoke to you about be careful about being carried away by your own lust. Now, lust is not only sexual. The word lust is not only used in sexual terms in the Greek. Most of us only understand it in terms of morality or sexual connotations. But lust is an unbridled, burgeoning desire for anything. An unbridled, burgeoning desire for anything that is opposed to the purposes of God. Okay, It's kind of ambition that overtakes your senses. You will do whatever it takes to get where you want to go. You will violate protocols, violate principles. So long as I get there, the ambition is so lustful, it drives me. It becomes my vaulting 
ambition. Okay? So lust is any intense desire for a thing. Any intense desire. You could desire a position. Okay? You could desire anything that is uh, unnatural. It is extraordinary. It, it literally uh, is so strong, it will cause you to lack reason, to behave irrationally, and to sometimes do things you would not ordinarily do. But the desire is so strong within you, you lose all sensibility of, of things you know to be true simply because you have to have that place. You have to have that thing. You could even lust for that person. You have to have that person. It's a very strong, strong term. I said to you, you must sort out the small foxes because if left undoubt with, they open the door to, to bigger things. Okay? And I gave you several examples that I don't want to go through now. I then said to you that you must clean up the darkness in you so that from a position of light in you, you could help others in darkness. Okay? Now, the Bible says that there's nothing that escapes God's view. God's eye is on everything. Can you, even if you wanted to, hide anything from God? Can you? Will you be successful in hoodwinking God? Anybody here want to try? David said, even if I go to hell, you are there. Not even hell, which is the, the realm of the demonic place of evil, is barred from God's presence. David said, if I put my bed in hell, there your presence will, will find me. They used to sing a song way back, God is watching us from a distance. Wrong song. Not watching you. He's not from a distance. He's very close. You, you can find out any little thing you're busy with. And I want to say that the secret things that are being dealt with in the heart. The heart, listen carefully. More than your closet secret place. The most secret place a person can enter is their heart. Because that is the place that nobody sees. It's your internal you. It's your heart. In that secret chamber, the intention of the heart needs to be honorable before God. Because God even sees there. It's not about, I said to you, the rightness of your external behavior that God is judging. Now, God is judging what lurks inside in you as a desire or purpose there. Now, I want to give you some examples of people in the Bible who thought they could pull the wool over God's eye and get away with murder. Some of them literally with literal murder. Right? And they thought God will never find out. And they thought this, if I can fool men, I can too fool God. Okay? The first example I want to draw your attention to is Gehazi. The name Gehazi means valley of vision. So a valley is a low point, not so. Vision is perception. Now, when you're in a valley, you have no perception. Why? Because you have mountains on either side of you. A, a, a valley is a depression in between two points of elevation. So, usually two mountains. So, it's a, a low place. Everyone say low place. So, valley of vision. So, this guy, like Lot, which means wrapping or covering, lacks perception. Because he lives in a low place. He lives in a valley. Who was Gehazi? Gehazi was the servant of Elisha, the prophet. Who was Elisha? Elisha was the spiritual son of Eli, 
Ja. Elisha got double portion of the grace anointing from his father, Elijah. Gehazi, it would seem, was next in line to continue the legacy, right? Um, and would have then received fourfold of whatever Elijah had if he positioned himself correctly. So whatever the grace anointing in Elisha would have been transferred to him. While Elisha, listen carefully, his grace was far greater than that of Elijah, the grace upon Elijah, please listen carefully, was a fathering grace. Because Malachi 4, 5 and 6 says, let's put it up, Luke, Malachi 4, 5 and 6, I'm going to send you who? Elijah the prophet before the coming and great and terrible day of the Lord. So and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children. Go back to the previous verse. I'm going to send to you Elijah the prophet. So God is saying, the first, this is how the Old Testament ends. This is the last verse in the Old Testament. This ends like, I'm going to send Elijah. And the most notable thing about him is not signs, wonders, miracles. The thing about an Elijah anointing is fathering. Because he turns fathers to their sons and sons to their fathers. Okay, So, if Elijah had a fathering grace, and if Elisha inherited double portion of that fathering grace, it means Elisha too had a fathering anointing. You'll see, for example, I know that Elisha did twice the amount of miracles that Elijah did. Literally, if you count them in the Bible, there was exactly twice the amount that Elijah did. And it seems like some of his exploits are far more profound than that of his father. Naturally, because he's got a double portion, anointing, not so. But he was the only, it seemed, the only son of Elisha. But the Bible says Elisha had a school of prophets, which nowhere in the scripture, they are referenced as a school of prophets. They are referenced as sons of the prophets. Everyone say sons. So while he was the singular son to Elijah, he had sons. And in 2 Kings 4, we know from reading that text, there were as many as a hundred of them. It says now a hundred sons of the prophets gathered with Elisha. So you can see he the only son of Elijah. Now he has the capacity to impart that grace to a hundred more people. Whereas he was the only singular one in Elijah's day. Okay? So definitely things, everyone said things are growing, right? Things are growing. Part of that group was a man called Gehazi. One of the, he was a servant of Elisha. When it says servant of Elisha, it would be this, he was Elisha's minister. The word in the Hebrew is minister. Like Elisha was a minister to Elisha, washing his hands, Eli, Gehazi was to Elisha. My point is, more than all the other hundred sons of the prophets, he was the closest, he was right there, right next to the man, but always could not see because he had low points in his life. Do you remember even when the Assyrians surrounded Elisha? Remember? And he was in the house fearful. He says, Master, the Syrians are outside, they are upon us. Elisha's cool, at peace in the house. And he prays to the Lord, Lord, open his eyes. Let him see that they that are for us are more than them that are. And when the Lord opened Gehazi's eyes, he saw multitudes and myriads of angelic hosts. Not so. 
point is, Gehazi always had a perception problem. Perception problem. So what happened is, Naaman, the Assyrian general, is healed of his leprosy. Naaman offers Elisha money. Elisha refuses to take the money as an offering, a thank you for healing his leprosy. Um, Gehazi, uh, Naaman goes back to Assyria. There are many reasons, which I don't want to go into here because it's a different sermon altogether. Um, the reasons why Elisha refused the offering from Naaman. Naaman goes back to Assyria and Gehazi, without uh, Elisha's knowledge, chases after Naaman, catches up with him and says to him, uh, my master sent me. Now, please remember, Elisha did not send him. Right? He goes fraudulently. Second Kings chapter 5. And he says to Naaman, there are two young men there and they need some items. My master said, you must give them to me. And he deceptively, fraudulently extracts gifts and money from Naaman, misrepresenting Elisha. When he comes back, he puts them in his house, and Elisha calls to him, Oh, Gehazi, come. And, and, and Elisha asks Gehazi a simple question. Where have you been? You must be very careful when a prophet asks you a question. When, when, when Adam sinned, God comes and says, Adam, where are you? When Cain kills Abel, God comes to Cain and asks Cain, where is your? You must be careful when God or a prophet asks you a question. They don't ask the question to indicate their lack of knowledge. The question is usually for you to really find out where you are. And they ask the question to give you an opportunity to come clean. Right? It's not that they don't know. Right? Ananias and Sapphira before Peter, Peter asked them a question. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie against the Holy Ghost? Okay? Divine questions are very, very strategically posed for this reason. They are intended to unveil to the one who is questioned. For that person to truly appreciate where he is. Because he thinks he is at a certain place where he is not. So the question is designed to expose to you where you are. It's like the angel talking, wrestling with, with uh, Jacob on the mount, remember? And the angel asks him, what is your name? Well, the angel doesn't know. You must come to terms with where you really are. Okay? With where you really are. And then, this is verse, verse 25. 2 Kings 5, verse 25. But he went in and he stood before his master. And Elisha said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, your servant went nowhere. <laughs> How can you lie, blatant lie? You did go extract the money. But he's saying, your servant went nowhere. What is this? Is this true? Sorry, is this true? Is it, is it integrous? Is it honesty? Is it innocence? All the things we've been talking about. This is a lack of integrity. You see, outwardly, 
Gehazi is posturing rightness, but in his heart, he's misrepresented his father. Verse 26. Then he said to them, did not my, what went with you? Elijah said, my heart went with you when the man turned from his chariot to meet you. Is it time to receive money and to receive clothes and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So you went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. Listen carefully. Leprosy is a skin disease that disfigures the person's appearance. The appearance speaks about image and likeness. So leprosy is a disfigurement of the image of God in a person. Right? So when the leprosy is pronounced upon Gehazi, Elisha is saying to him, you have violated image and likeness. You're not representative of God. Right? Of the nature of God, of the character of, of Christ. The frightening thing here is that Elisha knows something that Gehazi thought he doesn't know. And he thought he could play upon the ignorance of his spiritual father and misrepresent him out of his view. Many people play the game and they behave rightly so long as you're under the eye of your father. But when the eye of your father is away, will you still do the right thing? Will you still do the right thing? When Jacob died, he was, he made a request not to be buried in Egypt, but in Canaan. Joseph asked Pharaoh for a leave of absence. Let me and my brothers take my father back home to the land of my forefathers and bury him there. Okay? And so he went back with an entourage of Egyptian bodyguards, the Bible says, escorted him back to Canaan. When they got there, they buried Jacob. Jacob's long and gone. The brothers then say, uh, sent one of them, I think it was Judah, sent him to Joseph saying, my father's request was that you forgive us. So I'm thinking, now, this is, you're already reconciled. He's already forgiven you. What was their problem? They thought, because father is off the scene of time, the fathering principle is removed from brothers. Will brothers behave differently outside of the presence of a father in grace. Right? Right? So they come to Joseph and they said, Joseph, it was our father's wish that you forgive us. What did he say to him? He said, am I in the place of God? You sold me, but God sent me to save much people alive as it is this day. I, I applaud Joseph. You know why? He did not change his position to his brother's outside of the view of his father. Whether his father was present or absent, he still behaved in a manner that would represent the intentions of his father. Okay? This is a, this is a, this is a thing that, of integrity that you must master. You know why? The repercussions are very serious. You could forfeit legacy destiny. You could forfeit being the recipient of fourfold grace. I feel sorry for Gahazi. Who feels sorry for Gahazi? Okay, none of you. You guys are hard in this church, man. I feel sorry for you. You know why? Because stupid, stupido, 
thought she could hoodwink a prophet. And you know why? Again, why did he lack it? What was the violation? The violation wasn't so much that you misrepresent a father. The violation was you refused to overcome your small niggy-niggy problem of covetousness. Covetousness was his problem. So if you don't overcome the covetousness issue, you think it no problem to violate the greater principle of misrepresenting a father. The small foxes are spoiling vines left, right, and, and center. If Judas overcame his greed for finance, he would not have betrayed the Lord. The small thing opens the door to the bigger thing. And you think the pursuit of violating the bigger order is fine. And it can bring you disastrous, extremely disastrous consequences. You must be careful of becoming too familiar. Familiarity breeds contempt. You always hold up in great honor your sense of reverence and respect for, for credible men of God. You forgot, many of you here have forgotten, what a privilege. What an honor. Never lose. You know, you know why? The thing that you do not honor, you easily misrepresent. Misrepresentation becomes an option because you don't hold it in high esteem. You don't hold it in high honor. It's not an important aspect of God's will for you. So I want to encourage you. These things are very important. Gehazi made shipwreck of his life because of one act. Now, your, your, your problem might not be greed or finance, but I want to encourage you in everything you do. In everything God has called you to. Um, you, the, 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 one of the keys to grace is not to misrepresent the intentions of another. There are many examples here, but because of time, I have my notes. I will not go through all of them. I want to talk about Judas again, but time will not permit. I want to talk about two other individuals. Achan is another. Remember Achan, when Joshua took Jericho, Remember? The instruction was, do not touch any of the accursed things. The spoil of Jericho must be presented to the Lord. Jericho was the first fruit. It was the first city among many in the land to be conquered. God said, do not not touch the, the first city. Achan saw three things while they were killing all those in Jericho. And they won, they took the city, he saw a wedge of gold. He saw some silver, 200 shekels of silver, and he saw a very nice Babylonian garment from Shina, it says. Babylon, Shina. Shina is another name for Babylon in the Bible, right? A good-looking Babylonian garment, a wedge of gold, and 200 shekels of silver. So what he did, he took it, and the Bible says, he went to his tent. Everyone say, his tent. Now remember I said to you, David said, I will walk in the integrity of my heart in my house. Walk in my house and take integrity. He's got a house while they lived in tents, right? In the wilderness. The Bible says in his tent, he dug up a hole, right? Dug a hole. And he put those three items in the hole and he covered it up. Not so. Nobody knows a thing. Nobody knows a thing. Joshua, after taking Jericho, attacks the people of AI. Capital I, A, small I. The city of I. A, a lesser enemy compared to the strength of Jericho. And the men of I defeat them. Joshua's on his face praying before God, why have you done this to us? 
Are you going to cause us to make an embarrassment of us here? Joshua's contending with the Lord. The Lord says to him, rise up from your face. Uh, don't pray. Sometimes there are certain things you want to pray about. Certain things you have to deal with. Right? What does God say to him? This is not the time to pray. This is the time to sort a matter out. And God said to him, Israel has sinned. One man sinned, but God said, the sin is accorded to the entire nation. Israel has, has sinned. So what God instructed Joshua to do, God said to them, bring them out by tribes, then by clans, then by families, then by households. Find the family and I will tell you. So all the tribes the next morning, 12 of them are before, by discernment, he goes to Judah. Goes to Judah. Within Judah, uh, you'll see all the names mentioned there. A specific clan in Judah is isolated. In that clan, a specific family. In that family, a specific household. And Achan the man. From Achan the man to his tent, to the ground in his tent. The point I want to make is this. Watch. You see from the tribe, everyone say big. Or say the nation. Right? So it's the nation, the tribe, the clan, the family, the household, the tent. The ground in the tent. God is looking at the bigness of... God knows exactly where the thing is. Not so? And the man thought he could hide in the bigness of the crowd. Whereas God said, there's a way in which I will extract the thing from you. So God, let me just read this to you. This is... I I felt this impress of the Lord on Thursday. Watch. This is um, Joshua 7. Now... Verse 13. Do you remember Joshua 5 verse 3? Consecrate yourself for tomorrow I will do. Did not God say that to the nation? So watch. Consecrate yourself, O nation. Tomorrow I am going to do marvelous things or good things. The good things or the great things is taking Jericho. But the great thing God did has now become the downfall of one man. I'm not saying. You see, God gave us this word. Consecrate yourself, church, because tomorrow I'm going to do marvelous things, wonderful things. Pala, remember? Marvelous things amongst you. But Joshua has the need for the second time to give a second summonsing for consecration. Right? A sec- Everyone say second summonsing. This is the second call. And I heard God in my spirit saying, Randolph, my heart for your house is a second call for consecration. The second call is this, rise up. This is God saying through Joshua, consecrate the people. Say, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, thus says the Lord, the Lord God of Israel has said, there are things under the ban in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the ban from your midst. The things under the ban were the consecrated things that Achan stole, hidden in his tent. God gives Joshua a very stern instruction. You will not be able to withstand your enemies, like people like I will defeat you, until you remove the things that are under the, the ban under the ground in the tents of your people. Right? Next verse. 
In the morning you shall come near by your tribes. It shall be the tribe which the Lord takes by lot shall come by families. And the family which the Lord takes will come by households. And the household which the Lord takes shall come near man by man. I'm going to say this over the house. In the second summonsing of the house to consecration. Now God is saying, I'm going to deal with you man by man. I, I want to say this very clearly. I say this in fear and trembling over you. Now God is going to unearth the stuff. Because some people are still not obedient to the voice of the Lord. Right? If the stuff is going to hit the, if the fan, it's going to be now. Right? Because God is saying, I'm tired of speaking. I'm tired of speaking. I call for it. There's been momentary or fleeting breakthrough in some. Let me just say to you, I see the way some of you tithe. I can see financial breakthrough. And it's, 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 it's becoming commonplace in the house. And I want to thank you for your faithfulness in honoring the Lord. God is breaking through very powerfully in families here. And when I, when I see your track record, I can see faithfulness. I see faithfulness in first fruits. Faithfulness in... God is no man's... God is no man's debtor. But what I want to urge you is this. Your Jericho breakthrough, you secured it. Do not now that you've come into the breakthrough, start to flagrantly pass over important issues. The instruction carefully was, take nothing. Achan's greed was undoubted, and he, could, he thought that he could hide the thing in the ground in his tent. And I want to encourage you, whatever you're hiding, uh, if you listen to Pastor Thamo's blessing prayer that I shared with you via the WhatsApp group, he prayed this, and it confirmed things we were teaching. He said, every secret sin, every presumptuous sin, now exposed. Okay? Everyone say, intensive consecration. That's a word I gave to you before. I want to encourage you, church, walk circumspectly. Don't think light. The light, the light disregard for that principle you always violate is not an end in itself. That's going to open a door to further things you never ever thought possible. Okay? There's a dynamic of heart to heart that you must pitch into. You must pitch into. Yeah? There are some people who are physically present, but their hearts aren't. There are some that might not be present at a meeting for legitimate reasons, but their hearts are here. Gehazi thought that in the absence of Elisha, that he could fool his father. But what did Elisha say? My heart went with you. My heart is so pure, it sees things. You know what Paul said to the people in Corinth? Remember there was a man in Corinth who slept with 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 his father's wife, who was not his mother. Remember that story in the book, New Testament. And Paul had to come in and give, uh, put, give judgment and give discipline and bring the man to book. And Paul said this. He says, although I am not with you there physically present, I judge the man even as though I'm there. Right? And let me just say this to you. There's a view that fathers have by revelation of realities. Right now that is frightening. Right? Um, but it, it's part of the fathering process. It's 
part of the fathering process. It's given to mature fathers whom God can trust with the perspective of people, knowing that the father will not unnecessarily judge the son, but help the son to overcome his weakness and go on to maturity. Reinstate the son, rehabilitate the son, and then go on to, go on to maturity. And I think I've given you sufficient examples of that principle uh, in previous sessions. But I, I want to encourage you, um, you must have integrity in the dark where no one can see. Don't think that God's eye uh, will, not be, will not be over you or on you. Even if the thing is in your tent, under the ground, we're living in a very serious time where God's about to unearth all of those issues. Everyone say integrity of the heart. Very important. Integrity of the heart. Who in the Bible is described as a man after God's own heart? It was King, King David. Who would like that descriptor of you one day? Anybody here? That's amazing. It's an amazing accolade. I think an amazing commendation given to any human. But that man, when the scripture says he's a man after, it's not just, a lot of people understand that phrase as in pursuit, that David pursued God's heart. Now, yes, there's a, some element of truth to that, but it's more so that David literally had the character of the heart of God, or the quality of God's heart is in human form within a man. Question, is God's heart one of integrity? Yes or no? Right? So if the Bible says that he's a man after my heart, God is saying, I've scanned the earth to look at the hearts of men, to see if there's anybody's heart like mine. And he says, I found David, my servant, a man after my own heart. Who was the first king of Israel that David took over from? King Saul. So when King Saul's kingdom was rent from him, the prophet said this to Saul. I'm going to read it. This is 1 Kings 8. Oh, no, no, sorry. Um, 1 Kings, sorry, 1 Samuel 13 and verse 14. 1 Samuel 13 and verse 14. But now your kingdom shall not endure. This is Samuel speaking to King Saul who disobeyed God. So King Saul's disobedient, the prophet says to a disobedient king, your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him to rule over his people, because you, Saul, have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. My point here is, Right from, watch, the choice of David to replace Saul, the descriptor is given of David that he's a man after my own heart. If I were Saul, I would have fell, fallen on my knees and repented to God. What God is saying to him, by implication, is you, Saul, are not a man after my own heart. I've sought for a man. Everyone say, I've sought out. I've sought out a man for himself. If you look quickly at Acts chapter 13, by the way, the book of Acts has a lot of reference to David. If you study it, take the time to read some of the sermons of the apostles. They reference him quite often. In Acts 13 and verse 22, after he had removed him, he raised up David to be their 
king, concerning whom also he testified and said, I have found. You know what I have found? I have found David, the son of Jesse. This is New Testament. God's not speaking about the quality of David's heart. I have found him a man after my heart who will do all of my will. We just read in 1 Samuel 13, God says to the prophet to Saul, I have sought. Everyone say, I have sought. Yeah, he says, I have found. In other words, what he was seeking for, he found. The search of God today is after a man who has a heart of integrity like God. So what God seeks for, he must find. And I pray that it would be said of you and I, that we have hearts that God has been looking for. We have hearts that God has been searching after. Now, look at 1 Kings 8, verse 17. I believe part of why did David have a heart after God? What makes a heart God's heart in a man? What is the thing that God can say of you and I that our hearts are after Him? I believe part of it, there might be many reasons, but part of it is because our heart's intentions are to build God a house like David wanted to build him a house. Now listen with me. 1 Kings 8 verse 17. It was, this is Solomon speaking, it was in the heart. Everyone say in the heart. It was in the heart of my father David to do what? To build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father, because it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well in that it was in your heart. Ask your neighbor, what's in your heart? Nevertheless, you shall not build a house, but your son who is born to you, he will build a house for my name. Now the Lord fulfilled his word which he spoke, for I have risen in place of my father David and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised and have built a house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. Was David a perfect man? Yes or no? Come on, was David perfect? We know that he orchestrated the murder, the assassination of Uriah the Hittite. We know that he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Right? Um, we know that he pretended to be a madman when they tried to kill him at one stage. And he pretended not to be the king, a madman. So he knows how to play the hypocrite. Right? Yeah? You know, sometimes when you look at Bible, I love what Dr. Segi said when he opened his message. He said, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, I can't relate to, because he was willing to kill his son. I don't know if I can do that, Dr. Segi said. Okay, my own son. I'll take a matter of to Abraham. Salute. Isaac, that man was an awesome man, obeyed God, and he mentioned a few things in so many powerful respects. But I can't relate to Isaac. But Jacob, <laughs> yes, my brood, that <laughs> supplanter, deceiver, liar, trying to find his way through life. But a heart after the birthright, that guy can relate to, not so. Come on, you all can relate to Jacob, hallelujah. <laughs> I like, I like characters like that, and like David, God says to him, how can you say he's a man of your own heart? A man committed adultery. 
The man committed murder. Yet, you're still in the New Testament are talk, talking about him. This guy, he's got a heart after. Let me just say this. A heart after God's got nothing to do with your morality. Yes, you must be moral. What I'm saying, don't not, not be moral. I'm saying you've got to be circumspect and right in God. I'm talking about, everyone say the intention. You see, God said to David, because it was, we read it a moment ago, because it was in your heart to build the temple, you have done well. By the way, you will not build it because your hands are too full of blood. You're a man of war. I need a man of peace to build my temple. The word Solomon means son of peace. So your son will build. A man of peace must build a temple. But God commends David in that because it was in your heart, you did well. Now, I really want to encourage you. Yearn after the right things. At least. Everyone say at least. Some people are not even positioning towards rightness. At least desire something good. Even if you don't eventually begin to do it, at least have a desire. God commends David, not for building the temple, but because the intention to do so was in his heart. Right? This man, he's not perfect, but he strives for a pure heart. Everyone say, tell your neighbor, you might not be perfect, but at least strive for purity. Amen. When God comes to check the integrity of my heart, he must suspect and say, okay, Randolph, you've got 10, 110 faults, but at least in you I can see there's good intentions. At least you're inclined, you, you want to do the right thing. Tell someone bent to do the right thing. There's a frightening scripture, I don't know where it's found in the Bible, but it says this in the last day, He who is unrighteous, let him be unrighteous still. He who is righteous or holy, let him be holy still. What's that? Revelation 22, 11. So check it out. He who is unrighteous, let him be unrighteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. Let the one who is filthy still be filthy. Let the one who is righteous Still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy, still keep himself holy. You know what this is saying? This is saying, listen guy, if you want to go for unrighteousness, go for it. Bless you. If you want to carry on with your filth, excel in the filth. Don't stop halfway, go to maximum filth. This verse is literally saying that. But the verse is also saying, but those who are intent on righteousness, go for it. Right? Max it out. This is what this verse is saying. He who is unrighteous, let him be unrighteous still. He who is faulty, let him be faulty still. But he who is righteous, let him pursue the practice of righteousness. Next week, I'm going to share on an aspect regarding integrity that will literally set you free in regards to desire internally in the heart. But at least want to do the right thing. Who here wants to do the right thing? Let me see your hands. You want to do the right thing. See, God, there's, there's an inclination. You see, if there's no inclination, I feel sorry for you. Then your conscience is seared with a, with a hot iron. When good is presented and there's no inclination towards the right thing, then we are in serious trouble. Okay? Then we are in serious trouble. When you are tempted to steal and you don't think twice about doing it, 
There's no conviction. There's no, here's at least, hey, let me check. Right? I just go flagrantly and casually and resign myself to it. Throw myself at wickedness. You know it's dishonorable to do what you're doing, but you still do it and you expect positive outcome. Not going to work. Some of you, God has dried up your finances because of serious violations. You don't pray to God for financial breakthrough. You sort the matter out and you get the breakthrough. Amen. Sort the matter out and you, you get the breakthrough. Amen. Watch this. Um, remember Acts, go back to Acts, the verse we read a moment ago. What was it? Acts 13 and verse 22. David, a man after my own heart. And what does it say about a man after my own? What does a man after my heart do? He will do all my work. Everyone say do. Now, lest you go away from here and say, oh, Randolph has let us off easy. So long as I have the intention, I'm hundreds. Whether I do it or not, it's not the issue. So long as the desire, all the desire is there, but yeah. No, you can't think like that. The Bible says, at the end of the age, God will say, well done, thou. It's not well intentioned, it's well done, huh? Not well thought of, not well planned, not well inclined. It's well done. We're living in a grace age. Listen carefully. Where the intentions of the heart must now manifest in in the deed, in the obedient deed. Okay? A behavior must be right before God. You cannot use your intentions, though being right, as an excuse before God for not actually doing what is right. If your intention is strong enough, you will do the right thing. I will encourage you. So tell someone, do all his will. This word all is very important. It's not some of his will. It's not my selected, eclectic choice. It's the totality, the sum total of his will. I want to do thy will, oh my God. I want to do thy will. And that will construe my heart and constitute it as a heart after God. Look at Acts 13, same chapter, verse 16. It says this of David. I think I have the wrong verse. Where it says, David, after he served the purposes of the Lord for his generation, he slept. Let me quote the verse to you. It says this, for David, after he served the purposes of God for his own generation, he slept. 36. He served what? What did David serve? What are you called to serve? The will of God or the purposes of the Lord. Uh, repeat this after me. He served the purposes of God in his own generation. Look at the New King James. See, it's slightly different. David say he served his own generation by the will of God. So what did he serve? The one version says he served the purposes of the Lord for his generation. This one says he served his generation by the will of the Lord. The point is, when you serve God's will or purpose, you serve a generation. Point B, David's service wasn't interest in inward looking. It was always outward focus. In doing the will of the Lord, he sought benefit for others. It is said of him, I mean, think of a whole generation. Eh? David's execution of purpose blessed a whole generation. I said to the Lord, I want that. Come on, who wants that? 
going to say to you, I challenge you by the Holy Ghost. Uh, Pastor Tamar prayed an awesome prayer. We're going to rehearse that on Wednesday evening when we, meet, when we meet for the prayer meeting this week. But he said this, the house has now, he said this prophetically, has graduated from a family of sons to a family of fathers over families. This means a, a larger increased sphere of impact. You know, I, I want to encourage you. Are people blessed because you are alive? And on your death, will anybody miss you on the earth? Anybody will miss you? Or will people say of you like they did? There's one guy who forfeited firstborn privilege. I forget his name, the book of Kings. And, and, it says, and the Bible says, and when he died, the, king, the people said, good riddance. Bye-bye. Thank God you're gone. Because of the way he behaved. I want to encourage you. At your death, people must be rejoicing and say, Ooh, thank you, Jesus. He's gone or she's gone. At your death, they may say, wow. Not just one or two. A whole generation was blessed because of their legacy, because of their life, and because of their example. I want to encourage you. You see, most of us, what makes your heart not integrous? A heart lacks integrity. Listen carefully. When the heart parades to fulfill the purposes of the Lord or the will of the Lord, but not designed with others as the primary beneficiary of their efforts, they engage the process with self-centered ambition, with pride, making a name for myself. How good am I looking? Tell someone, live for others. If anything I employ, you live for others. Live to bless others. David lived to bless our whole generation. Got it. That's the heart I want. He's not living to make his own name great. He's living to bless a whole generation. Who knows? Sometimes when valid... I'm not saying, yes, you've got to be discerning. I've learned the principle from Pastor Thamo that the need is not necessarily the core. So you don't just, don't just respond to needs willy-nilly, but you must know by discernment which is, which is of, the, of the Lord. But I want to encourage you, bless someone. Tell someone, bless somebody. Bless somebody. Okay? Now, just quickly, um, so are we going to serve our generation? Are we going to bless people? Don't live with me, myself, and I, and my family, and nobody else. Bless our whole generation. Bless people. I want to encourage you, don't spend time only with people that in your mind you think are going to benefit you somehow. The greatest test of your maturity is to spend time with someone and bless them without any concern for how reciprocal that person would be in benefiting you. Okay, you just, everyone say, just serve your generation. You lack integrity of heart when you, by your mouth you say, I want to pursue God's will. But at the back of your intentions of your heart is, I'm only in this to make my name great. A name for myself. I'm going to get mileage from this exercise. If you think like that, you lack integrity. But when you're wide, you say, God, I want to be a man after your heart like David with all my freckles, frikies, little innuendos, um, at least my desire is to serve you. I want to bless a generation. I want to impact people, no matter what it costs me. Let me just 
close with one thought because of time. There's a whole lot for David we can talk about. But one thing, because it relates to Gehazi, Gehazi's experience. One day, you know how Saul chased David, not so? Wanted to take him out. Okay? Saul became jealous of David. David's the rising next king. And David ran for 13 years, by the way, being chased by Saul. 13, imagine 13 year fugitive. Long time, eh? On the run. At one stage, he's got his own following now, David, of about 400 men that came to him at Ziglag. Remember? Depressed, in debt, discontented. They will become David's mighty men at the end of the 13th year. But all at one point in the journey, he was in a cave, and in the adjacent cave, Saul and his entourage came, and they were sleeping. They did not know David's. And David's men tell David, Hallelujah! Victory belongs to the Lord. See how the Lord has given your enemy into your hands. Let's go and sort them out. They're sleeping. We'll pounce upon them. Take them out. Your problem to your destiny is over. You have a, remember destiny. Say destiny. Remember I told you about sacrificing Isaac? Isaac represented to Abraham pathway to destiny in terms of him becoming father of many nations. Now the men say to David, the biggest obstacle to your destiny is lying before you sleeping. He has a dagger. Sort the man out. Life is easy. Life is a coast. The throne is in view. Let God's will prevail for the kingdom. You see, the, everyone say pursuing purpose. Where it says he was a man of the God's own heart, he, he served his generation by the will of the Lord. He loved purpose, loved being God's will, but he never ever did God's will or wanted to gain mileage in doing God's will, but simultaneously in the process, violating key principles along the way. It never gets you there. It never gets you there. So, what does David do? David creeps up on Saul. You know the story. Okay, I should teach us in Sunday school like this. <laughs> Dramatized issues before the kids. While Saul was sleeping, he took a piece of the skirt and he cut it off with his dagger. An edge of the skirt of Saul. And the next morning, he stood from a distance and he called King Saul. He said, see, could have taken you out. Look. Look, I could have taken you out, but I chose not to. But look at the scripture. Do you know that that act of David seriously tormented David? The fact that he did that seriously tormented him. First Samuel 24, 5. Watch. It came about afterwards that David's conscience bothered him because he cut off the edge of Saul's robe. I mean, he didn't kill the man. But even that, what might seem as a little infraction, caused David serious trouble. The New King James Version says, it happened afterwards that David's heart, everyone say David's heart. You see, he's a man after God's. The things that affect God affects this man. Right? So even that, his heart troubled him. But I like the King James Version. This is how I learned it. I wasn't thinking of this verse even as far as late yesterday afternoon. wasn't part of my notes. 
Luke was studying in the study. In my study, I went to just go over my thoughts for the sermon, just peruse them. And then the Lord said to me, and David's heart smote him. I remember the verse from teaching this in Sunday school, the smoting of David's heart. And the Lord brought it forcefully to my memory. David's heart smote him. Yes, it's here. Everyone say, his heart smote him. His heart spoke to him. His heart said, you, David. David's heart talking to David, right? David's heart talking to the man. says, you. You, David, you have violated a serious principle. David could have argued, but I haven't killed the guy. I just cut off his skirt, right? But his skirt, listen carefully, was a representation of his mantle of anointing. His grace configuration. Right? And he violates that and his heart tormented him internally. I am seriously worried today that people are doing serious violations without their heart smoting them. They're breaching serious principles and we go in as per usual and think my pathway to the king, my pathway to my destiny, purpose is in view. Let me just say this to you. It never, ever works like that in the kingdom. Just one more reference. In 2 Samuel 24, 10. Remember David took a population census of Israel. Right? But he wasn't uh, inspired of the Lord to do that. And it says, And David's heart troubled him that he had numbered the people. Right? Again, King James would say David's heart smote him. And he said to him, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have acted what? The word foolish is to, in Hebrew and Greek, describes one without a brain. If you say you're a fool, publicly, remember Jesus to the two on the road to amaze in Luke 24 says, Oh, foolish, you foolish, call him foolish. He's saying you lack spiritual intelligence, you're thinking right, without a brain. There are many brainless Christians today. Why I say they're brainless? I can see how you're behaving. The foolish behavior tells me you're not aware of certain things. For you to think you can do that and get away with it and things will work out for you, something's not right upstairs. Right? When he sinned, I like David, as compared to Saul, he was quick to repent. Quick to say sorry. I want to encourage you. You know, above all else today, I want to encourage you to honor and respect spiritual fathering. For me, it's the make or break in the kingdom. I'm telling you. You misrepresent that. You misrepresent your father like Ahazi did. Leprosy. Do you know where lepers lived? In leper colonies. Not so. Outside of cities. They're usually outside of cities. In other words, you're taken away from the vortex, the center of city life. You have no contribution to the welfare of society and you take him to the fringes, the periphery of things. May no one here be taken to the periphery of God's will. May we all be central to what God is doing in the earth today. But the thing, the make or break is the intentions of the heart in reference to how you honor, how you represent, do not misrepresent, have a heart to do God's will, have a heart to fulfill the will of God for your generation, have a heart to to, to, to bless people. Okay. This is very, very important. And if 
At times you fail. Quickly repent. Tell someone, quickly repent. Where did David repent? What psalm records his act of repentance? Psalm 51, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of his wife, husband Uriah, sorry. Two verses, verse 10 and verse 17. David prays, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a... Everyone say clean heart. What was David? A man after God's own heart. It was a heart that was... He desired purity. He pursued purity. When he failed, he would quickly repent. He'd pursue purpose. Everyone say purpose and purity. Two things you must chase after. Purpose and purity. And while you do that, don't violate intent, with your intentions, misrepresenting your leaders. Right? Gehazi misrepresented. Elisha is relegated to the fringes of society. David refused to violate his honor of King Saul. And even when he did something small, everyone say, nigi, nigi, nigi. There's a small infraction, cut the man's skirt. I mean, the worst thing would have been to kill the man. And I'm, I'm seriously concerned today that people are not even concerned about the small things anymore. Seems like what kind of leg, if this is true of this generation, what would be true of the next? Yeah? Because honor begets honor. Dishonor begets, begets dishonor. Okay? So I, I seriously want to encourage everyone. What did I say? Verse 17. Everyone say clean heart. And he says, a broken and a contrite heart. Say broken heart. Say contrite heart. He says, God, you will not despise. You know, brokenness and contrition is where you come so low. You say, God, to contrite, who remembers talcum powder? It's so fine, eh? The powder's ground so fine. David says, ground me like that. Make my heart so powdery, broken to the point of a little minuscule grain. I want to be so broken before you. No pride, broken, no arrogance. Proverbs 6, 16. Watch. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven, which are an abomination to Him. So what, what seven things God, God I hate that. Look at the list. Haughty eyes, right? Like proud. A, a, a lying tongue. God hates lies. A hand that sheds innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run rapidly to, to evil. A false witness who utters lies and watch. The one who spreads strife among brothers. God hates these seven things. Right? So I'll talk more to the last one, maybe next week. A heart that hates or spreads strife among among brothers. Now, can I end with one last thing? First Kings chapter five. Give me your Bible. In First Kings chapter five, there's an account of a battle that rages. Sorry, first Kings twenty two, my mistake. First Kings twenty two. Let me give you this not I'll be five minutes. Because you will see the importance of a pure heart that is rightly positioned before the Lord. There was um, a prophetic warning 
given to the King Ahab, the king of Israel, not to go to a specific battle. King Jehoshaphat, who was king of Judah, was falsely allied to the king of Israel, King Ahab, and would support him in this battle. A prophet by the name of Micaiah warned them not to go into battle, because if you do, certain destruction. Now, I would like to... You, the prophet says, don't go fight, you're going to be destroyed, and you still go fight, right? So, the king Jehoshaphat was more godly than the wicked king of Israel, King Ahab, not so? Ahab, the evil king, disguised himself as a foot soldier and reinforced his armory such that there was no capacity for anybody to kill him. Because you know in war, if they saw kings fighting, who do they go after? You fight the king, you win the battle. Not so, you kill the king, you kill the battle. So in the battle, when they fought the enemy, Ramoth Gilead, the enemy were, the enemy soldiers were instructed, you only go for the king. So who is the only king there? King Jehoshaphat. King of Ahab is this guy as a foot soldier. So they saw some kind of king in a chariot and they all chase him. On, on coming nearer, they realized, this is not king Ahab whom we really want. And the Bible says, and they turned back from pursuing the king. So it's like they can't reach the objective. Repeat after me. Cannot reach the objective. Can't find the king because thousands of soldiers, he's dressed like just one of them. Verse 34. It says, A certain man drew back at random and struck the king of Israel in a joint in of the armor. And so he said to his chariot, Turn around and take me out of the fight because I am severely wounded. My point is this. Watch carefully. Everyone say random. Do you know what this word in the Hebrew means? Tome. What is tome? Integrity. So if I can dramatize it, watch. Right? Guys are fighting. Can't find the king of Israel. This guy says, this one, this strange one soldier, he says, Let's leave chasing, find the king. Let me see. Take my bow and arrow. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. He releases an arrow that, he releases an arrow that flies in the air amidst thousands of individuals fighting. The arrow finds the king at the only place in the armor available for the arrow to penetrate. Now, talk about precision. This is better than David and Goliath. At least Goliath was there. Could see you, take a stone, could the stone hit him, yeah, in the foot. This is far more impressive, I think. Right? The guy just says, Zhup. my point is, watch, the word random, you know, in, in English parlance, when you use it normally, random is something unstructured. It's un, if you say you're doing random, it means unplanned. Uh, not wanting specific results. It's a loose action. It's a hit and run. It's, it's a random thing. Random things turn into strategic outcomes when the thing is done from a heart of integrity. Right? A man let the bow go from a heart of... When it says he did it randomly, it's describing the act of his heart. An integrous action struck the king at the only place in his armor 
and God's purposes was done. Prophet Micaiah shared the purposes of the Lord that if you go, you will die. He thought he could hoodwink God and, 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 and avert the consequences. But the act of integrity, from a heart of integrity, God a strategic result done in reference to God's purpose. Everyone just do this. Come on. Maybe some of you must draw a picture. Draw a whole group of guys fighting there, a man on the hill somewhere, just like this, and he gets the job done. Gets the job done. I want to I ask you and me prophesy and appeal to you and say the, the following to you. I'm saying to you now, if you master integrity, what will be random to you will be strategic to God. If you master integrity, you'll be going on your normal day, a random, say random, random day, an ordinary cup of coffee with someone will turn out into some strategic development in reference to your purpose. What will become, you see, what is random to the man of integrity is, diff, is, is different to the randomness of a man who lacks integrity. God takes every initiative of yours. And this, I believe, is what I'm praying for my life and for your life. Amen? Say it after me. Strategic outcomes. I'm saying integrity of heart, if we have the heart of David, is going to bring for us strategic outcomes in reference to the will of the Lord for our lives. Remember the place when you happen to be, or the time when you happen to be in the right place at the right? You know that we use those phrases, I was just in the right place at the right? What can be random could be very purposeful in God's heart, so long as you have a heart of integrity before the Lord. Everyone say random actions. Come on, say it. Say random actions. Amen. Well, I trust this word um, settles in your heart. You know, forget, forget running around. Forget the fake parade. Forget everything. Just master one thing. Say, God, the intentions of my heart, the secret room, I want this to be the most clean place, pure place, because from that position, I'm going to shoot arrows that will hit targets. Okay? Random actions from a heart of integrity and the results are attained. Amen.